Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. Father, we thank you for the ability to give utterance and to give understanding. We trust the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, the one who guides in the truth, to take the word of God today and make it relevant and practical and applicable to the lives of your people. As the word comes out of my mouth, I'm declaring light will come into their souls and we will see the truth and walk in the truth in Jesus' name. Amen. The last two weeks, <clears throat> we've been dealing with, with, with the church because when we talk about the church, we need to understand how critical the church is in God's program. Uh, two weeks ago, we told you the church is the bride of Christ. The bride. And the church is destined to reign and rule with Christ throughout eternity. The church will share his glory. That's what he said, the glory you've given unto me, I've given unto them. The church is his bride. Jesus loves his bride. Jesus gave his life for his bride. His bride is not perfect. She has wrinkles and blemishes. That's what the word says. But he loves her anyway. And he gave himself for her and continues to give himself to her. He's his bride. And any man who loves his wife is very concerned that she be treated with honor and with respect. Amen? And so let's understand how Jesus sees the church. The Bible says he nurtures her, he cherishes her. If that's how Jesus sees the church, then that should be our own attitude. We should do what? Speak words and do things that will nourish, nurture, and express a love for the church similar to that which Christ has for the church. I preached that message two weeks ago. Thank God for technology. You can go on YouTube. The message is there. Please listen to it over and over again. Really listen to it. It's critical. Because what God is doing in the earth, God is doing with the church. And the only reason we will be raptured is because we're in the church. We're part of the church. We're, the first thing that happens when you get born again is the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. Last week, we talked about the church as the body of Christ. Again, this local assembly, consisting of people who believe in Jesus, who are gathered together for word, for worship, for work, we are the body of Christ. We're not all there is to the body because the body of Christ consists of people who are in heaven and people who are on earth all over the world who believe in Jesus. But we are the body. Mysteriously, God has made us one, joined us together just like the physical body, and we all share the same life of Christ. It is the life of Christ that is flowing through me and is flowing through you. Just like this blood that goes into your head is the blood that goes into your feet. Even so, the Spirit of God that is in Christ and the Spirit of God that is in me is the exact same Spirit that is in you. It's mysterious, it's, it's mystical, but we are one body in Christ. 
all right? And we're supposed to function like a body. So if you want to know how God wants you to operate and how God wants you to relate to the other believers in this local church, in the body of Christ around the world, ask yourself, look at yourself, and, and observe how the members of your body, physical body, relate and support and work together. I told you last week that each member in the body exists for the sake of the body. The body doesn't exist for the member. The eye was created to give sight to the body. The body wasn't created for the eye. The eye was created for the body. The ears were created for the body. And even so, each of us is important, but we find our significance in the fact that we're in the body and God has given us a role, a function. He has gifted us to provide something for his body that his body needs. So we must always understand that our significance comes from the fact that we're part of his body. And the gifts that God has given us, natural and spiritual, have been given to us so that we can minister to his body and build up the body of Christ. Do not believe the lie that you can fulfill your purpose and your destiny in God by yourself. Amen? The call upon your life, the assignment upon your life is directly connected to your relationships and your, your membership in and participant, a participation in the life of the body of Christ. You can't have the attitude that I can just do what I want to do and I owe nobody an explanation. No, not if you're a Christian. No, no. If you are a child of God, you're accountable to me. I'm accountable to you. We're accountable to each other because anything I do affects the entire body. My arm can't say I'm free to do what I want to do because when the arm does something stupid, the whole body is going to suffer. You follow me? So we are to hold one another accountable. And when we see each other struggling or, 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 or suffering like the physical body, we should do what we can to bring health and healing and support. At the same time, when we see one of us living a life that we should not be living, doing things we should not be doing, behaving in ways that we should not be behaving in, then we have a responsibility in love, but we have a responsibility to reprove, rebuke, correct, help our brother and sister to do what's right. Because the body is, is the body of Christ, and we are all members of that body. In Jesus' name? Amen. So please meditate, meditate on this revelation of the church as the bride of Christ, and on the revelation of the church as the body of Christ, because this will help you to understand how you ought to view the church and what you ought to be doing with the gifts that God has given you. And, and Romans chapter 12 says, if we're going to know the perfect will of God, then we got to have our minds renewed. We cannot be conformed to the way the world thinks. And if you look at Romans chapter 12, and I ministered this last week, how does the world think? The world 
is self-centered. The world is selfish. The world thinks that what is theirs is theirs. You follow me? And Paul is saying, if you're going to know God's perfect will, you can't operate that way. And then if you read the rest of Romans chapter 12, he tells you how each of us is a member of the body. None of us is complete without the other. And he tells us that we're supposed to be serving one another. So if you are the kind of person who is all about you, and you feel that the church, quote unquote, is supposed to serve you, you got it backwards. That's how the world thinks. Okay? Please, please, you got to get rid of that kind of thinking. All right? Don't see the church as a drugstore. Don't see the church as a restaurant. Don't see the church as a movie theater. Don't see the church as, as Walmart. Amen? Because, again, that's the mentality a lot of people have, right? You go to Walmart, you, okay, one-stop one shop, you know, and you, okay, there's something for the children, there's certain for the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the men, there's something for the women, there's something for the young adults, and you love Walmart because ho hopefully you can get what you want and it doesn't cost you too much. So a lot of people go from church to church, from church to church, as though they're going to Walmart. They treat the church as though it's supposed to be a place where you got all of these programs. What do you have for, my, for, the, for the children? What do you have for the youth? What do you have for men? What do you have for women? What do you have for the business people? And so they're looking for a church that has all of these things for them, for their families. Mm? And, okay, if they like what is here, they'll be here for a while until they discover another church with more programs. So there's no loyalty, there's no commitment. Are you hearing me? That's not the way we're supposed to operate. Okay, I'm not saying that God cannot lead you to another congregation, but it, oughtn't, it shouldn't be because you're looking for programs. Because when God puts you in a local church, he puts you there to serve. When he put my eye in my body, he put my eye there so he can see for my body. And so if this body is struggling with sight and you are an eye, don't leave. You know, give us some sight. If this body is struggling because a lot of things that should be done, require more hands. Don't complain. You got hands. You, you get the point. Say that, but if you're here, it's because God has put you in his body, he gifted you spiritually and naturally to build up his body. You are not here to be served. You're here to serve. Now, guess what? If all of us are here to serve, Guess what? All of us will be served. Because if I'm serving you and you're, you're serving me, guess what's going to happen? All of us will be served, but that's not why we're here. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot that this body needs, and you are the answer to those needs. God brought you here so that you can take care of that aspect. You need to... You need to Understand why he brought you and start doing what you're supposed to be doing or your time, talent, and treasure as it relates his body. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. 
Okay? So I want to continue to talk about the church. But I want to talk to, about the church today from, from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and verse 16. 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. Okay, let's read together. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself or how you ought to behave in the house or in the household or the family of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar. So according to this verse, Paul says, Timothy, everything I've said to you, this is why I'm telling you this. Because I want you and I want the church, the members of the church, to know how to behave, how to conduct themselves as members of God's family, his household. Amen. All of us grew up in some family and some household. Some households and families were great, and we're benefiting from the fact that we grew up in homes where we experienced love and where there was authority and where there was order and, 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 and there were certain rules of the house that everybody respected, but it was for the good of the family, and we are beneficiaries of that. Others were not so blessed, and they struggled today because they didn't have the right household or the right family environment in which to grow up. My wife always, not well, not always, but often, talks about her parents who were very, they were disciplinarians, and when they were disciplining her as a child, she didn't appreciate it, but now she keeps saying, oh, thank you, God, for Bernice, her mother. Thank you for Francis, because my wife is hardworking. So she says, thank you, Bernice, for teaching me how to work hard. <laughs> well, in their house, the children work. And she was saying the other day, she said, uh, you know, my mother told me that whenever told her children, if you're going to do the laundry, don't just do the laundry for yourself. Ask your brothers or sisters, if they also have something to wash, don't just find out they, there's something. Then, then she said, but then she says, now, if you are asked whether you have clothes, don't give all your clothes to her. <laughs> you follow me? So they were being taught, you know, and she was, she was saying how they were taught how to say thank you. You didn't just say thank you once. You would say thank you if someone did something for you. The next time you see them, you will say thank you again. I think you had to do it at least three times. Okay, that was, that was, that was the rules. That was, the, that was how they were to conduct themselves as members of the Ahmed household. We're saying here that this is a family, the household of God. We are family, people. God the Father is the one who oversees and is responsible for this household, but we're family. He's our father, we're brothers and sisters, and we live together in a family. And according to this verse, there are certain things and certain ways that we are expected to behave, and, and there are certain things that we as members of God's family should never be found doing. You know, the Bible says there was a day when there was no king in Israel. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. But it's not so concerning God's family. There is a king over the church. Amen. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, 
they oversee the body and they have certain rules, certain expectations, just like her parents taught her that she needed to say thank you three times and how to be serviceable to the other members of the family. God the Father has guidelines, principles, and rules that he has put in place for the benefit of this family so that this family can function the way it's supposed to. All right? So more and more, people are failing to understand that there are just certain ways that every Christian is supposed to behave. You know, we live in a very individualistic time in society where everybody feels they're free to do what they want to do and nobody should talk to them or tell them anything because you're judging them. That's not the church, oh. You've been bought with a price. You are slaves of Christ. You are sons of God. And, and there's, there's just certain things. Say to your neighbor, there's just certain things that are unacceptable for you as a Christian to be saying and doing. There's just certain places you got no business going. You got certain friends, you shouldn't be buddies buddies with them. It's nobody's business. No, it's all our business. Because Father has given instructions. I hear me. We're not talking about going to heaven or hell. We're talking about pleasing God and we're talking about living lives that will glorify him. Why should we pay attention to how we live and how we behave? He says it's because the church is the church of the living God and the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Listen to me. We are not a social club. <laughs> We're not just a group of people who have light interests who have come together to pursue similar interests. He says, no, 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 no. You ought to take very seriously how you behave, both in the gathering of the believers and out there among unbelievers. You ought to always be mindful of who you are, who your daddy is, what your last name is, what family you belong to, and who you represent. Because the way you conduct yourself reflects on the family you came from and reflects on the name of your father. And so Paul and the scriptures in other places say you ought to behave a certain way so that the name of the Lord be not blasphemed. My goodness. People are blaspheming the name of the Lord. And the reason they're doing it is because they point to so many of us Christians who profess to be part of his family, say he's our father, but then we live just like the people of the world, we respond to each other and to others just like the people of the world. And, and people look at us and they blaspheme the name of Christ. They blaspheme the, the church. And so the church is losing more and more respect in the eyes of the world. Why? Because we who are members of the household of God are not taking seriously our responsibility to represent him. 
You see, we are the church of the living God. That means we are identified with God, and God is identified with us. And we need to be mindful. At all times, people are identifying me with God. I am identified with God. How is my behavior affecting his reputation? You see, our behavior ought to bring him glory. Our behavior towards one another and towards the world ought to magnify him, ought to reveal his character, reveal his love, reveal his mercy, reveal his goodness. Are you with me? So there are, there are definite ways that Christians should behave that are different from the ways of the world. All right, so let's quickly look. I don't have time, and there's just, just a lot of stuff, but I wanted to establish. So everything Paul is saying in the book of Timothy, he's saying it to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church at Ephesus, so he can teach the body of Christ in Ephesus how Christians ought to live and how Christians ought to relate to one another and what should be the priorities, all right? So let's quickly, let's quickly see some of the things. We won't want to do all, but let's quickly see some of the things. Go, go back to verse 1 of 1 first, first Timothy 3. Okay? Let's read together. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop. Now, bishop there is not, 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 it was used. It, it, it was a minister, the, the pastor, an overseer, an overseer of a church, okay? If you desire the position of a bishop, he desires what? A good work. Now, read on, verse 2. A bishop then must be what? Blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but what? Gentle, not quarrelsome, not... And, and there's a whole list. We can, we'll, you take the time to read it yourself, but there's a whole list of character qualifications and behavioral qualifications that, that one must meet in order to be given the responsibility of leading God's people. Now, after he talks about bishops and elders, then he talks about deacons. And one of the things he says about deacon, he must not be double-tongued. In other words, he must not say one thing to you, then say something else to me. Okay, here's the point. Character matters. How you behave matters. And take the time to look at all of those instructions. And I hear somebody say, yeah, but not for the bishop, not for me. That is for the bishop. It is not for me. No. That is for all of us. What he's saying is, those of us, one of, in fact, let me say this. There are two categories of leaders in the, in the, in the, in the, in the church. There are the leaders spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers that God calls, God chooses, and God sets apart to oversee the work. But there's a second category, and what he's talking about here when he talks about elders and deacons, this category refers to what is traditionally called lay leaders. 
These are people who are not, quote unquote, full time in ministry, like I am. They are doctors, they are business people, they are teachers, they are nurses, and they're, make, they're making their living professionally, doing something out there in the world, but they aspire to be useful to the church. That's what he's saying. So he's saying if a man who's a businessman, a man who's a doctor, a man who's a teacher, a woman who is a, a nurse or a doctor, if that woman aspires, has a desire to be more useful, to do more, to be a greater blessing, to care for the church, because that's the job of elders and deacons. If you desire to do the work, say work. He says you desire a good work. If you desire, besides making money, besides what you do professionally, if you desire also to be a blessing to the church, to, to make yourself available, to build up the church. Maybe it's the children's ministry. Maybe it's a women's ministry. Maybe it's a men's ministry. It's the discipleship program. But if you desire to do the work of caring and you want to take on more responsibility, he says that desire is of God. It's a good desire. And it's a responsibility of the pastors to help identify those people and put them in place. What these deacons and elders are to be in terms of their character as leaders is simply modeling or being an example of what God wants all of us to be. So everything that is being said there for the elders and deacons who are aspiring to be leaders is what is expected of all of us who are members of the body. The leaders simply must model it. They can't just talk about it. They must be an example of the very thing that they're calling the people unto. You still here? So that means you must not be given to wine. It means you must not be double-tongued. It means you must be the husband of one wife, or you must be a one-woman man, or a one-man woman. Okay? So all of these requirements, again, what's the purpose? He's saying you're saved by grace, but you got to remember who you are in this house. There are things that we do and there are things that we don't do. Character and conduct matters. You can't be quarrelsome. You can't be fussy. You follow me? The Bible says the wrath of God does not work. The wrath of men, excuse me, does not work the righteousness of God. So being quarrelsome and argumentative and in strife, you can't do that. That is not becoming of the children of God. Are you hearing me? All right. Say to the person next to you, are you listening? Okay, but let me let me clarify or let me add to what I just said. For the sake of time, we're not going to read the entire thing. But what I want you to see here is, he says, establish elders, establish deacons, have character requirements, conduct requirements. He says, before you put anybody in a position of leadership, examine them, test them. You don't put people in a position and hope they rise to it. He says, examine their character and their conduct. Look for all of these things, 
And if all of these things are there and that person desires leadership, go ahead and lay your hands upon them. Put them in positions of authority, but look for these character and, 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 and conduct um, qualifications. All right? But what you see here is God is saying, in essence, the church needs to be governed. One of the ways that we ought to conduct ourselves, Paul is saying, is you need to establish authority in the church. Yes, everybody is saved. Yes, God loves all of us. But the God is not a God of confusion. The scripture says, let everything be done decently and in order. God does not work in chaos. If you want God to move in your life, allow God to establish order. Some of the reasons why you're not seeing breakthrough is because there's disorder in your life. Amen. Amen. The first thing God did when he saw the earth was without form, he says, let there be, and God began to establish order. So what God is saying is here, how should we conduct ourselves? He says one of the things you need to do is to establish order and authority in the church. Put people in the positions of authority. Give them responsibility. Make sure they qualify based upon character and conduct, but then put them in positions of authority. And when you put them in positions of authority, those who are under their authority ought to be what? Respecting their authority. Again, time doesn't allow us to go all the scriptures, but Hebrews chapter 13 says that we should obey those, verse 7 I believe, who have the rule over us because they must give account for your souls. So how should you conduct yourself? He says, listen, there needs to be government, there needs to be authority, we need to be careful who we put in positions of authority. But once those positions are established and people are put in positions of authority, all the members of the family need to respect that authority. Why? So if there's an elder in the church, please stand, there's an elder. Okay? If this, thank you. And then if this elder is in place as an elder, she didn't choose herself. Hmm? Ultimately, the order came from heaven, because we just read it. We obey that, and we establish an elder. If you disrespect her, you are disrespecting the one who authorized her to be in that office. You hear me? So how should we conduct ourselves? We ought to establish rules. We ought to establish order. We ought to establish government. And all of us need to respect those positions and those people who are in authority. So oh, I got the Holy Ghost. I don't have to listen to anybody. I, yes, you have the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost said, establish elders and deacons and respect them. I told you last week, you're not going to be able to run if you don't first learn how to walk. If you want to know God's unknown will, you need to first submit to his known will. I'm preaching better than you're listening. And so we read in scripture that his known will is select people, look at character, conduct, 
put them in positions of authority and make sure so that there can be order in the church, make sure that people respect those who are in authority. So what does that mean? It means some people have the right to tell you what to do. I know you thought nobody got any right to tell you what to do. You're wrong. Nobody has a right to lord it over you. You know, there's a fine line. But there, 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 there is inherent in the office with the responsibility, authority to say, this is what we're going to do. And then those of us who are under that authority need to respect it. Okay? All right. But that's not all he said. So he spoke about this. Let's go to First uh, Timothy chapter, chapter, we're still in chapter 3. Let's look at, yeah, let's look at verses 8, go to First, first Timothy 2, two verse 8 to 10. All right, let's read this together. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting, in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest, in modest, in nobody got any right to tell me what to wear. Nobody got any right telling me that dress is too short. Those pants are just too tight. That blouse is just too low. Nobody has any right. Everybody need to mind their business. It's between me and God. No. You're part of this household. You represent the family. You represent the father. What you do has implications. People do say, oh, do you see that at that church? And all of us, now, now the Lord spoke about women. He didn't, it didn't mean that men. It's just that, let's be honest, the way the woman is shaped, the way God made the woman, the way you dress often uh, affects her more, okay? But the principle here is that no, because we're part of a family, there's a way to conduct ourselves, and which, which means there's a, a right way for a child of God to dress, and a wrong way. And if there's a right way and a wrong way, then it cannot be that the world would determine the standard for the church. We can't, we, we, we can't go on you know, TV or look at the magazines and see, uh, what her name, um, Beyonce, or, uh, anyway, you know them, all right. Now, those are beautiful women. They're beautiful. But we can't let her be the standard for us. 
Okay, why? Because we are part of the household of God, the family of God. We are the church of the living God. Amen? And what we do, what we wear, reflects on him. So, now, nobody ought to have to tell us how to dress. We ought to ourselves look in the mirror and say, okay, this is too low. This is too short. This is a bit too tight. Maybe I need to wear something a little bit of the cover. Now, he says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, don't read that, you know. Some time ago, you know, some folks, even about Bethel, they, they, they stopped braiding their hair. They took out all their earrings. Come on, people. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. Amen. Let's look. Let's let's look at let's look at the next verse. But which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. In other words, this is what he's saying. And back then, the braiding hair and all of that was the fashion of that day, right? I mean, he basically. What he's saying is, listen to me. First of all, you've got to understand that you are the example. Hmm? And you ought to dress in a manner that is appropriate for someone who does what? Who is professing godliness. So, okay, before I dress, here's the principle. Hmm? Modesty. Now, modesty changes. It's not, there's not one standard that's called modesty, but you ought to pretty much be able to look at the society you're living in and be able to say, this is modesty. This is extreme. Here is modesty. What is modest in our society? And I ought to dress as someone who is what? Professing to be like God. I should dress like someone who wants to promote godliness. Not someone who wants to promote my brand. Well, if your brand is godliness, yes. Vote to, pro to promote your brand. Your brand is godliness. That's good. I didn't think about that. That's right. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's a little bit more practical. Your brand is godliness. So dress to promote your brand. Not Hollywood's brand. Not Beyonce's brand. Vote to promote your brand. And your brand is what? Godliness. You follow me? Now, what Paul deals with here is one example that falls into a greater category. The point that is being made, or the principle you should draw from that is that because we are the church of the living God, the family of God, and because we don't want his name to be blasphemed or reproach, we should pay attention to big things 
the decisions we make, big things, but we also should pay attention to small things. Dress, in a sense, is a very small thing. Your salvation does not depend upon it. Your anointing doesn't really depend upon it. You can wear a short dress and still be anointed. All right? But still, that doesn't mean that's the way you ought to present yourself. So here's the point. Promote your brand, which is godliness, but let this apply to all areas of your life. Something as small as dress, how you dress, take that into account. And when you're making the big decisions like who you marry, take your brand into account. You're promoting what? Godliness. That person you're going to become one flesh with, is it going to hurt your brand? I'll promote your brand. Are you getting this? Amen. When you think of the royal family, Pastor Chris, again, she always comments that she sees the, 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 the princess, is that what they are? Princess? Duchess? Okay. But she always remarks how when they dress, I, she doesn't see them showing too much. They look elegant. They, they look beautiful. I mean, they're well-dressed, but there's a sense of decorum. There's a certain standard to promote their brand as royalty. Hmm? The girl who just married the second, what her name? Megan, you, you tell me I'm not, I'm not well informed. But what was, she was what? She was an actress, right? I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, don't remember watching any of her, her movies or whatnot. But I'm sure she probably dressed like the Hollywood people. Right? But since she got married to the, to the prince, every time you see her, very, very modest. Beautiful, but modest. Why? They're concerned about the brand. They're concerned about who they represent. <laughs> Say hallelujah. Well, if they will be that concerned about their kingdom and the image of that kingdom, how much more should we, who are part of the Father's household, the kingdom of God? So here's the bottom line. Don't let the world lead you. You lead the world. You are the light of the world. Amen. So your job and my job is to shine the light and show the way. You're not shining the light. You're not showing the way. If everything the world does, you just copy it. You got to examine and say, okay, this is acceptable. This, no, it goes too far. Say to your neighbor, promote the brand. All right. Go to 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Let's read together. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Next verse. For this is good 
and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And what is the truth? Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Raise your hand and say, thank God, there's only one God and there's only one mediator. Amen? So that's the truth the whole world needs to know. And this scripture says God wants men to be saved. He wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, verse 1 says, this is how members of the church need to conduct themselves. They need to give themselves to prayer, supplication, intercession, giving of thanks. Why? So that men may be saved. Now, Jesus said, my house or my household shall be called the house of prayer. This passage we just read shows us that as much as God wants people to be saved, God will save no one apart from the cooperation of the church. So to a large degree, the destiny and the souls of our friends, our brothers, our sisters, rest in our hands. And so one of the things that should characterize every believer, every child of God, is a commitment, a priority being given to prayer. How should you behave in the church of God? When the church gathers for prayer, you should be there. Oh, that was weak. Because unfortunately, 99.9% of you are disobeying the scripture. You say, Bishop, I don't have to come to the church to pray. Listen to me. When he talks about prayer, there are different kinds of prayers. There's a prayer petition. If you want a car, Father, I pray you provide me with a car. I believe I receive. Thank you. That's a prayer petition. And then there are prayers of supplications, intercessions, giving of thanks, which are continual ongoing prayers. And those types of prayers are required when you're praying for the salvation of souls and you're praying about things that involve the will of man. You don't just pray, thank you, Father, I receive. When you're praying for things that are for God's will to be done and is subject to the will of man, and since God has given man free will, the kinds of prayer you praise, pray um, is different from the simple prayer petition. This is what Paul is talking about here. God wants men saved. Men will not be saved unless the church prays. So here's the way you should conduct yourself. Every single one of you, men and women, but he said men, I guess. He particularly said men, because maybe that's who we need to talk to. Most of all, but it's for all of us. Amen? Supplications. It's supplications. Prayers. Intercessions. Giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, prayer, you have your individual prayers, you need to have your personal prayer life, but what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about the church, the believers gather together and offering up corporate congregational collective prayer together for the salvation of souls. Paul is saying when it's time to pray, let the church be gathered. Men and women come. 
and come prepared to pray, to supplicate, to intercede so that souls can be saved. Ask the person next to you, where are you on Friday nights when the church gathers to pray? Where are you doing those 21 days or the five days or whatever when we set aside time? Where are you? Do you show up? It, it doesn't, ah, not for me. It's not even on your radar. I'm writing these things so you know how to conduct and how to behave. All of these things I'm telling you is how you should behave. And how should you behave? You should give priority, first of all. You should be giving priority to supplications, prayer, intercessions, giving of thanks. Coming together and praying. So the prayer takes place every Friday at 7.30. And then we have prayer every morning on the prayer line. And then from time to time, we, we announce certain seasons of prayer. Five days or 21 days. We recently ended 40 hours of praise. When that is happening, you are included. Don't say it's not for me. No, it's for you. That's how you're supposed to conduct yourself. You're supposed to prioritize prayer, personal prayer, congregational prayer needs to be a priority because God's will being done in particular when it comes to the salvation of the lost is depending upon our prayers and intercessions. The authority on earth is given to the church and God respects that. So God will let I'm sorry, that's how he designed the system. People will go to hell if the church doesn't pray, because God would not ignore that. God would not just start saving people if the church doesn't pray. That's the system. God has designed the system so that prayer is the means by which the church generates the power that accomplishes God's will on the earth. God's will is men be saved. The prayers of the church will generate the power to bring men into a saving knowledge of Jesus. God wants men to deliver. The prayer, the prayer, the prayer generates the power on earth to accomplish God's will. Every single one of us needs to make it a priority. Are you listening to me? So listen, listen. The Bible... The Bible says, go to, go to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4, 16. I'm going to have to end because of time. But I hope, uh, I hope you would take 1 Timothy and read it and start reading all the things that are there in light of what I just told you. But let's read this concerning Jesus. You ready? Okay, let's go. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to... Okay, what was Jesus' custom? You think Jesus had a personal prayer life? You think so? Yeah, we know so, right? Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost. I mean, if anybody could say, you know, I don't need the rest of y'all. I can just pray by myself. Jesus would be. But even though he had this intimate relationship with God, he knew God because he was God. The Bible says it was his custom to gather together with other believers 
Back then, it was on Saturday, the Sabbath day. It was his custom. What is your custom? How should you conduct yourself? How should you behave? Every one of us should have a custom of gathering together with believers for word, for work, for worship. It should be our custom. And it ought to be at least a weekly practice. Not once a month, folks. You're not going to hell because you come to church once a month. But you're not following Jesus' pattern. You're not conducting yourself the way you ought to be conducting yourself so that God's work gets done. He said, but Bishop, I work every other weekend. Okay, I understand we're in America and sometimes that's the schedule to give you. But let me encourage you, first of all, don't just get, don't be too quick to get those jobs that keep you out of church or make you unavailable. Pray because you know what your custom is. Your custom is I need to be with the people of God on weekends. That's, that's, that needs to be my custom. So, Lord, I'm praying and I'm believing for the kind of job that will allow me to gather together on weekends to be with the people of God. Pray and believe God for that. Don't be too quick. I mean, because most of you don't even think about the importance of gathering. So, any, you're just looking for a job. And if you get a job that says, okay, you're going to be working every weekend, therefore you're not going to be in church for months, but I'm thinking you accept it. Because everybody else is doing it. You're not everybody else. You are part of the family of God. Amen. You are the church of the living God. You're not everybody else. It's important that it be your custom that you gather together. And then some of you say, yeah, I do work, but you know, it's six o'clock in the morning. I get off. I'm tired. Come to church. Drink some coffee. There's some people who do that. They come straight from work and they make it here because it's their custom. You say, I got to go through all of that? It's sacrificial. But you know what? Serving God is not always easy. Doing God's will sometimes is very, very demanding on the flesh. It's so demanding that Jesus had to go to the cross. It was so demanding Paul spent years in prison. It was so demanding he was whipped, he was stoned, all kinds of things. So yeah, it's not always comfortable. Sometimes it's hard on the flesh. That's why the Bible says present your body as a living sacrifice. Amen? And then if, if for time being you just, whatever reason, you just can't manage the, the, the weekend stuff, we got, we got care groups. That meet on Wednesday nights. But make it your custom to gather together. All right? And if your circumstances are such that you just see no way, then I want you to talk to me. Because I want to pray with you so God can make a way. Amen. Amen. I, I believe God will hear our prayer. I want to pray for you so God can make a way. But first of all, commit. This is going to be my custom because this was Jesus' custom. And this is how I ought to behave as part of the family of God. We need to gather together for worship. We need to gather together for word. We need to gather together for work. Gather together for prayer. It's important to God's program that we gather together as a family. Are you hear me? If you got, a, you got children and you got a household and 
The, you don't ever see the child. The family never gets together. That's a problem. Everybody going their own way. I know that happens a lot, but that's not ideal. That's not good. In every family, there ought to be a time when mommy and father and brothers and sisters and children all gather together and spend some quality time together for a healthy family. Isn't that so? In the natural, it is so in the spiritual. In Jesus' name. Okay, I'm not done, but, but I want you to take First Timothy, and I just want you to read it, but read it now with this in mind. Everything he's saying here, he's instructing me, showing me how I ought to behave. And I want you to leave here knowing today that there's a right way to behave as a Christian, and there are wrong ways to behave. And you need to understand that your conduct is reflecting on the family that you're part of. Be mindful of that. Keep that in mind and apply it to big things, but also apply it to little things, things as, that are as little as how you dress. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that the Holy Spirit will take it and may it take root in the lives of your people and may it produce transformation. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Did you receive something? Okay. Are you going to be doers of the word? Are you upset with me or are you happy with me? All right. So, guys, let it be your custom to gather together with the other family, with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit weekly for prayer, for word, for worship. That is how we ought to conduct ourselves in the family of God. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.